Let's open our Bibles to John chapter 12. John chapter 12. Let's start right there at the third verse where we were introduced to Mary of Bethany, Mary the sister of Lazarus, and what she did for the Lord. And I hope that by reading in other places and by being familiar with the New Testament, you recall that it was a memorial for her forever, that it's been preached in all languages for the last 2,000 years. And so John, years later when he wrote this gospel, could put in John chapter 11, in verse 2, in parentheses, it was that Mary which anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. He could put that in chapter 11 before he tells about it in chapter 12 because everyone receiving the gospel of John already knew that about her. And we know that about her. And we want to anoint the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ and have his approval and recognition of us for such undevoted, unashamed, humble, intimate worship of Jesus Christ. And all of us have opportunities to do it. John chapter 12, verse 3, Then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. I've said quite a bit about this verse, and I don't want to say very much more. How will you make your discipleship and obedience to Jesus Christ equal to Mary's? How will you do it? You must count the cost and pay it to be a true disciple of Jesus. In Luke 14, Jesus said about a builder who who laid out a budget to build and didn't forecast enough so he didn't finish his tower and it was a shame to him forever. That was one example. Another example was a king with 10,000 soldiers and a king uh, is coming against him with 20,000 and so he should probably send terms of peace to uh, not get into a battle that he's going to lose. And that's called counting up the cost of discipleship. To follow Jesus Christ has a cost. You have to give up things. And there's a cost for everyone. She had saved this bottle of ointment for Jesus, and so this was her investment toward him. You need to count the cost and pay it to be a true disciple of Jesus Christ. There's going to be things you need to give up in your life, and you should give them up gladly. The cost if you want to make something costly, it can certainly be monetarily, but it can also be an effort. It can be in time. It can be an emotion. You may also humbly crave his words, his doctrine for your life. Because the other time we read about Mary, she's sitting at his feet wanting to hear every word that he says. And so love of preaching and love of the word of God and love to learn what Jesus Christ wants for your life is like Mary as well. You might also stir yourself up in heart to greater passion for him, like Jesus exhorted the church at Ephesus. They had lost their first love, so he said, Remember from whence thou art fallen, repent, and do the first works again. You might take on a difficult task out of conscience toward him, like I preached in the second service last Sunday about on-the-job trials or at-school trials, when you have someone difficult over you and you need to submit to them, like being a wife to a husband. It's all there in that passage in 1 Peter 2 and 3. This is how you can be like Mary. You might choose an act of service or worship needing greater humility than normal. You might break habits in a relationship or function to do something magnificult, 
Something different that you've never done before. Getting out of your comfort zone. The Lord knows all those things about us. And when we do them, we are anointing his feet like Mary did. Verse 4. Then saith one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him. Why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? Hate that spirit. Hate that spirit right there. We have four souls mentioned right here in a few verses. We have Mary, Martha, Lazarus, Judas. Now that's, you can, can you rank those? Is it hard for you to rank those? No. Nope. Mary comes first. Mary got memorialized. Martha didn't for serving. She was rebuked for serving in Luke chapter 10. Lazarus shouldn't be memorialized for sitting. So we've got Mary, Martha, Lazarus, Judas. And there's a big gap between Judas and Lazarus. Jesus loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. So all three of them were good or great Christians. Mary was the best. Jesus said she was the best. Jesus memorialized her. And then we fall, we fall, we fall down to an apostle picked by the Lord Jesus Christ, not in error. He didn't make a mistake. He chose a devil. And there's a lesson in it for us. There will be devils that sneak into the church of Jesus Christ. It's wheat and tares growing up together. And we can't tell the difference sometimes. We've got to wait for them to be manifested. And we're going to wait in the long run for every one of us till the great day of judgment. But there's Mary, Martha, Lazarus, very close together, but Mary with the top spot, and then all the way down to Judas, questioning, giving to Jesus Christ. How can Don't ever let there be a question in you about giving to Jesus Christ. If someone gets to this pulpit and is a little more emotional than you are, instead of questioning them, Instead of questioning their motives, be thankful they love him enough to get up here when you won't. Right. Keep, keep our priorities right and not have that negative, critical, miserly attitude about expense and effort to the Lord. He deserves it. Yes. It's a terrible thing. And it was among the 12 apostles, and we don't want it among us. And if we're honest, and I'm trying to be honest with you, Obviously, it wouldn't even make it to my notes unless I'd experienced it before and I had heard it from some of you before. We can be critical that way and we don't want to be critical that way. Why they just keep getting up there and talking about the same old thing? Because they're thankful for what Jesus Christ did for them. Why don't you get up and mention it once? Why don't you get up and mention it twice? Lord, help us not to be like this. You know, much more could be said, and I don't want to say it right now, about this. Why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence? Zach told you correctly last Lord's Day, a penny in the Bible were the wages for day laborer. Because remember when Jesus hired some at 6 a.m. and they worked the 12 hours, they got a penny. And if you'll think about it, okay, a penny, day's wages, 10 hours times 10. Let's just round it off. I like simple math. A hundred bucks. So, a hundred bucks. But 300 times a hundred? What is that? That's $30,000. $30,000. In today's terms, $30,000. Right. As a benefactor recently sent us such an ointment. 30000 
They were, they were people of means. They could hold a big supper like this. 30,000. Let's be extravagant like that for the Lord's sake. Now, extravagant for the Lord is not expensive stained glass window. Extravagance for the Lord is not some painting on a church wall. That's how other churches measure their extravagance for the Lord. What we're going to be doing this next week and what was done this past week by our webmaster is being extravagant for the Lord because we want to share the Lord Jesus Christ with others. And that email that I sent you was a token from heaven. That email arrived right when it was needed, and it was a perfect email for me to share with the church to appreciate what our website does for people that are lost out there and don't know the truth. It was from the Lord. And we want to be extravagant in ways like that. We want to be extravagant in celebrating within means, with, with, within our means, and without being wasteful. We want to be extravagant in showing hospitality to others as if we were doing it to the Lord. Because Jesus said, "In that you did it to the least of these my brethren, you did it to me. So when we do it to someone, we want to do it as if it were the Lord. Right. And it's fun to spend a little bit of extra for them. So we want to be extravagant that way so that we can be, we've got this scale. We've got Judas down here. Never let any critical, negative thought come out of us like him. And it's, right. there, it's there. It's latent there in all of us. Right. Let's rise up and focus on Lazarus. No. Mar no. Mary. Let's not just be content with serving the church. Let's look for the personal, intimate, humble fellowship with the Lord like Mary chose. Verse 6. This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the bag and bear what was put therein. Let us not be stingy. Money's to be used. Let's use it. Money's to be saved. But the amount you save is not the amount you spend. You use it by spending it. Let's be like Mary. That doesn't mean we get foolish. But let's not have this attitude. And the Lord tells us where this attitude came from. The man was a crook. Because he, was, he didn't have the giving spirit that he should have had. In fact, he was the opposite. He was a thief. And the Lord would have known about it for three and a half years. Never feel sorry for this pastor. But you make sure you take care of, defend, encourage other pastors that are your pastors. Can you imagine this pastor for three and a half years knowing that he had a devil in the congregation of 12 apostles and that he was stealing out of that bag and that he was conspiring with the Jews to betray him? Jesus knew it all. Right. What a savior. It's all about him. What a pastor. The, the, the good bishop and the great bishop and the chief shepherd of the sheep is the Lord Jesus Christ. So first of all, we have an explanation from John in verse 6 as to why Judas responded the way he did. It wasn't because he was frugal or a good financial manager. It's because he was a thief. Then Jesus said in verse 7, Let her alone. Against the day of my burying hath she kept this. She's kept this $30,000 bottle of ointment for the day of my burial. See, some caught on. They knew that Jesus was going to die. We can go way back to when he was dedicated to the temple, and Anna and Simeon knew. They knew that Jesus had a future that was going to involve his death, and Mary latched on to it because she had kept this bottle for Jesus and his burial. So we want to keep our priorities right and the real purpose of the Lord Jesus Christ in our thoughts as well. Against the day of my burying hath she kept this. For the poor always ye have with you, but me ye have not always. And you know that we could go off and preach for an hour 
on the poor because there was a proverb that went out this past week about the poor, and I was written, we, had, we got some email responses from around the world because most people aren't used to hearing a real explanation about the poor and how not all poor are to be taken care of. Right. Only poor that are wise and only poor that are diligent are to be taken care of. Nations that want to live on sand and continue to reproduce like rabbits do not deserve to be helped. The Bible teaches, there, no, there was never a collection taken up in the Bible for them to run across the Red Sea or across the Suez Canal before it was dug and deliver money into nations that want to multiply like rabbits on sand. You can't make it re reproducing like rabbits on sand. It's just foolish. You've got to count up the cost of life. Right. And now that sounds very hard. But see, the Bible doesn't teach things the way the rest of the world does. Right. The Bible looks at things differently. In the New Testament, when there was a famine, they did not go in their city and look for orphanages or hospitals to give money because there was a famine. They would gather up money and ship it across the Mediterranean Sea to the poor brethren that were dwelling in Judea when there was a famine. The Bible tells us these things. It's all been preached before. Jesus here is explaining, you always have poor. If Judas was truly concerned about the poor, he wasn't. He was a thief. But if he was concerned about the poor, I'm going to cut off that argument as well. That giving money to Jesus Christ more directly and service and love to him is more than packing up, filling a suitcase, and going to some poor part of the world and helping them dig a well. They ought to move to where there's water. Water is not difficult in this world. You'll always have the poor, but you won't always have me. So Mary made a judgment that 30,000 was appropriate for this time because he's in his last week of life. Verse 9. Much people of the Jews therefore knew that he was there. Now there's a lot of people moving back and forth because how far are we outside the city of Jerusalem when we're in Bethany? Two miles. A little less. Two miles. Much people, the Jews, therefore, knew that he was there. And they came, not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might see Lazarus also, whom he had raised from the dead. And so there's the, first of all, a lot of people had come out of Jerusalem, chapter 11 tells us this, to mourn with Mary and Martha about Lazarus dying. They would have witnessed the resurrection of Lazarus. They went back to their homes in the city of Jerusalem. They told others, now the word is spreading. Jesus has come back again because at the end of chapter 11, he went into the wilderness to a city called Ephraim in verse 54 of chapter 11. Now he's come to Bethany again. And so there's a great deal of excitement about the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're being told why. And it's going to be repeated to us twice that Jesus is now close to the city wall of Jerusalem and Lazarus being raised from the dead is one enormous evangelistic tool for the time. But now if God hasn't done the work on the heart, even Lazarus isn't going to change anyone because Luke 16 teaches us that as Abraham answered the rich man in the fires of hell. John chapter 12. Much people of the Jews therefore knew that he was there. Word is spreading because it's only two miles away. You can quickly get word over two miles without cell phones. 
And they came not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might see Lazarus also. They wanted to see both whom he had raised from the dead. But the chief priests consulted that they might put Lazarus also to death. Not only did they want to kill our Lord, they wanted to kill the man that he had raised from the dead. Why would they want him to die twice so soon? The wickedness in men's hearts. It shouldn't surprise us. It's latent in all of us. Lord, keep it latent and kill it. Help us to mortify our flesh and to put to death those things that even are close to this. Because that by reason of him, that is Lazarus, this is verse 11, many of the Jews went away and believed on Jesus. They came from Jerusalem two miles to Bethany, saw Jesus, saw Lazarus. They may have been sitting in a pretty big spread, watching the two of them sitting beside each other. Then they went back to Jerusalem. And so there's this groundswell of excitement and enthusiasm about Jesus Christ coming back to Jerusalem. Remember in chapter 11, we were told in verse 55, the end of the chapter, that many went up out of the country to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves, then sought they for Jesus. And they're asking questions, do you think he'll come to the Passover feast? So there's this this expectant, inquisitive, curious desire on their parts to know if Jesus was coming. Now they've got the word, he's back in Bethany, two miles away, and he's with Lazarus. You can see them both by just going two miles. And so they did. And it tells us, much people did it in verse 9. And then the chief priests realized they've got to get rid of both of them because that by reason of him, many of the Jews went away and believed on Jesus. There's the team. There's the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah of Israel. And there's Lazarus, the one he raised from the dead. On the next day, much people that were come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, he's stepping out of Bethany and walking two miles. There's this information that has spread because of Jesus coming back from Ephraim to Bethany, having a supper, Lazarus being there, mourners having seen it firsthand, having declared it in the city, others having come out and seen them both, gone back to the city, Now there's an expectant crowd, and I wonder how they're going to treat him for his last trip to Jerusalem. On the next day, much people that were come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees and went forth to meet him and cried, Hosanna! Blessed is the King of Israel that cometh in the name of the Lord. And Jesus, when he had found a young ass, sat thereon, as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, thy king cometh, sitting on an ass's colt. These things understood not his disciples at the first, but when Jesus was glorified, then remembered they that these things were written of him and that they had done these things unto him. And so here's the entrance into Jerusalem that you have read about in other gospel accounts. This is the shortest gospel account of the event. The next day, much people that were come to the feast, because we've had this information going back and forth from Jerusalem to Bethany, there's an expectant crowd waiting for Jesus. And when he makes his trip from Bethany to Jerusalem, they meet him. Branches of palm trees. You know, palm trees have often been a symbol of victory and peace in many nations of that part of the world. A palm tree on a coin, I don't know if you can visualize it by having seen Judean coins, 
would have a palm tree on it because palm trees, there's a lot of agricultural value to them. They provide shade and they grow easily in that part of the world. And so palm trees were important and they took down palm branches. You know, when we have a wedding, and in America the most important person at a wedding is the bride, because they've never read the Bible, so they keep practicing holy matrimony of the Roman Catholic variety. They throw not palm branches, but what do they throw in the aisle? Rose petals. George Washington was honored with garlands of roses thrown in front of him as the victorious captain, the first president of our nation. So each nation does what is appropriate for their locale and what they have growing. And Israel had palm trees, and they were considered a symbol of victory and peace. And so it is not easy to get your hand on palm branches. Can you visualize a palm tree and getting a branch off it? Are you thinking of shooting up a telephone pole? But they went up and got them and brought them down and waved them. They've been, they've been used in other nations as well, but this was to honor the Lord Jesus Christ. They didn't have a red carpet, and they didn't throw roses. They used these palm branches. And wouldn't it have been exciting to have climbed one of those trees and helped get some of those palm branches down to go meet the Lord of glory, who had resurrected Lazarus, and you didn't know what was going to happen in the city of Jerusalem unless you were well taught like Mary, he's going to give his life to save his people from their sins. And they cried, Hosanna! which means save now, Lord. And he was going to save now as the Lord in Jerusalem. Those words are taken from Psalm 118. Psalm 118 is a messianic psalm, and verses 25, I'm going to read a few more than that, sound like this, and you'll know it's a messianic psalm. The stone which the builders refused is become the headstone of the corner. That is Psalm 118, verse 22. Are you familiar with that verse? Has Jesus ever used that verse? Is, that, is this about Jesus? The stone which the builders refused has become the headstone of the corner. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day which the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. And that's not today or tomorrow. That's the gospel day of the Lord Jesus Christ. Save now, I beseech thee, O Lord. O Lord, I beseech thee, send now prosperity. Blessed be he that cometh in the name of the Lord. This is where it's from. It was scriptural for them to praise him this way. We have blessed you out of the house of the Lord. That is Psalm 118, verses 22, down through verse 26. And so when you come back to John 12, and you read those words, Hosanna, that is safe now, Lord, from verse 25. Blessed is the king of Israel that cometh in the name of the Lord. That's from verse 26, from a messianic psalm of Jesus being the cornerstone that the builders refused. But the people accepted on this occasion. And Jesus, when he had found a young ass. What does that mean? Jesus had found a young ass. Was he running around in the two miles between Bethany and Jerusalem and found a young ass? Or did he send his apostles to find one that was prepared for him? Right. Oh, yes. If we read the other Gospels, we get more information. than we. I just find this amusing. And Jesus, when he had found a young ass... His apostles found it for him, and it was all ready for him. And when they just went up and borrowed it from its owner, the owner didn't object. And it had never been ridden. Who wants to jump on one of those? Our Lord did. 
Was there going to be a problem? There was not going to be a problem. You know, I wish it had been a white horse, but we're wrong. He's on a white horse now. He wants us to see him on a white horse now in Revelation chapter 19. But on this occasion, no, the tradition of Israel was asses. And if you want to go read in the book of Judges, and you want to go read what David did to Solomon, do you think David and Solomon probably had a pretty big inauguration? What did Solomon ride on? David's white horse? There weren't horses in Israel. God told them they couldn't have horses. Because to multiply horses would have put their trust in horses. Solomon is the one that brought horses into Israel. What did Solomon ride in his inauguration? David's mule. Oh, Embrace it. Understand it. See, when I read this passage, and I'm reading as a 10-year-old that doesn't know the rest of the Bible, just thinking, Lord, I want you on a white horse. I want you with everything gold. All the trappings are gold. Black leather. Whatever. I don't, want him, I don't want him riding like an Indian on bareback. I want it to be beautiful. But there's a reason why it's an ass's colt. Because Zechariah 9.9 made a prophecy that it would be an ass's colt. Right. And that's what's quoted. John loves fulfilling prophecy. Amen. Between now and the end of this book, you are going to find that John loves fulfilling prophecy. He's going to tell you that he stood there as an eyewitness and watched them break the legs of one thief, the other thief, and came to Jesus and didn't break his leg but pierced him in the side and he starts quoting scripture, I saw it with my own eyes. They shall look upon him whom they have pierced and they shall not break a bone of his. And so here he is again with Zechariah 9.9, Fear not, O daughter of Zion, thy king cometh. On an ass's cold. These things understood not his disciples at the first. Now, now, who does that include? John. Remember, John's writing this later. They did not understand this then. They understood it later. But when Jesus was glorified, what happened when Jesus was glorified? Spirit. Do you remember that's the timing? John chapter 7 says that the Spirit was not yet given because that Jesus was not yet glorified. So when Jesus was glorified in heaven, he poured out the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit, you know what Jesus promised them? He's going to bring all things to your remembrance. Yes. Oh, I wish. Yes. He does good enough. Amen. He does wonderfully with us. But those apostles that did not understand things on the day of Pentecost understood everything. Peter stood up and preached a sermon and pulled from so many passages, as I've preached to you recently from that passage of Scripture, the truth of the gospel about Jesus Christ from Old Testament prophecies. And John was able to write this gospel sometime later and be able to explain these things to us because after Pentecost, they understood them perfectly. That will take us now to our, well, we can handle verses 17 through 19. The people, therefore, that was with him when he called Lazarus out of his grave and raised him from the dead, bear record. Verse 17 are those that were in chapter 11 at the resurrection of Lazarus. They bore record. They had gone and talked about what they saw. For this cause, verse 18, the people also met him. That is the people of Jerusalem that heard about it from the declaration of these eyewitnesses of Lazarus being raised. For this cause, the people also, not the witnesses of 17, but more people from Jerusalem also met him for that they heard that he had done this miracle. They didn't see it, but they heard about it. 
The Pharisees therefore said among themselves, Perceive ye how ye prevail nothing? Behold, the world has gone after him. And there's one of those uses of the word world that's a very small, they hadn't gone after him. The Romans hadn't gone after him. It's a very small segment of the human population that's called the world here. But look at the frustration by the Pharisees because God is starting to glorify Jesus Christ. And he and his apostles, fishermen that couldn't even speak Hebrew or Greek correctly, were going to turn the world upside down. And we are part of the benefit of that. And it comes next when some Gentiles came to this feast and they wanted to see Jesus. And he answers them with some peculiar language that will take us the rest of today. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word. We have got to where I want to be. Because verse 20 is good stuff. All the way to verse 24. Please stand with me.